Hello again and welcome! We are here again! We're gonna talk about some video games and stuff, right? Well, thanks for joining again. Uh, on this episode, we're gonna be talking about Banjo-Kazooie soundtrack. We're gonna be highlighting Metroid Prime. And the topic, should we separate art from artist? That's gonna be an interesting one. So let's get right to it. Banjo-Kazooie. <clears throat> so, okay, full disclosure. I had never played Banjo-Kazooie until very recently. Um, I played uh, the Xbox version, and then I also played the uh, version, the original, you know, like the, the one that was just ported to Nintendo Switch Online. I had never played Banjo-Kazooie before. Just hadn't. I knew I knew who Banjo, Banjo and Kazooie were. I knew exactly who they were. Um, I thought it was cool that they were added to Smash Ultimate. Um, although I, again, <clears throat> you know, not having played the games, I didn't have any ties there. Um, so yeah, I just, and I, and I never, I never had a Nintendo 64, so I never played the game. I, I only ever played the big ones like Mario 64, Ocarina of Time, things like that on other people's Nintendo 64 systems. So Never played it until recently. And to start off, before we get to the soundtrack, wow, <clears throat> this game holds up. Like, I played it, and I'm still playing it, actually, and trying to get all the collectibles. Uh, It's fun. Oh, my gosh, it's fun, and it still holds up. Like, it, yeah, it's aged. There's some things on there that I'm like, yeah. But it's, it's really fun. It's a really fun 3D platformer. Go figure. No wonder all these people liked it so much. Anyway, so um, let's talk about the music. So the musicality in this soundtrack, I mean, it's undeniable. Okay, like the 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 mind and and talent behind it. Uh, Grant Kirk Kirkhope. I, I mean, he makes some excellent music. Okay, and I'm I'm talking like just quality music. But this soundtrack, it's highlighted for one reason. There, there's a re there's only one reason I am really focusing on this soundtrack this episode. It's just damn fun. It is silly and goofy and fun. So, <clears throat> I, I mean, all of the songs are silly. They're energetic, but not necessarily energetic. <laughs> it, I'll kind of get to that a little bit. And I mean, they fit the game perfectly. I mean, this is a cartoon bear and bird, you know, going against a witch. And, like, I don't know. The soundtrack just fits. It fits, and it's silly, and it's goofy. And sometimes that's just great. It's just great to have that. So, after finally playing Banjo-Kazooie, uh, I have a much greater appreciation for the music. So, I had heard this elsewhere before, obviously. You know, looking at you, Smash Brothers Ultimate. Um, but having played a large chunk of this game now and played, you know, hearing these levels and hearing this stuff, I mean, it hits differently. You know, Spiral Mountain totally hits. I knew it before. I knew the song. But after playing Spiral Mountain in Banjo-Kazooie and now hearing it, you know, with the music, I have it, it hits differently. I have a greater appreciation for it. But before we get to Spiral Mountain, I want to talk about the Overture which is like the, I mean, outside of the menu stuff, I mean, this is like the starter song. 
And the reason I want to talk about Overture before Spiral Mountain is that it displays how, I don't know, manic, <laughs> how manic the music can be. I mean, I swear it changes the feel. I'm talking like the pacing, the runs, all that stuff. You know, the tempo stays the same, but it feels like it changes at least five times in this one, in the overture. Um, you know, the song starts out somewhat serious and it surprised me the first time I was listening to it. Cause I'm thinking like, wait, this is, this is about a cartoon barren bird getting jigsaw puzzles and fighting a witch who just wants to be prettier than, the, than Banjo's sister. I was like, this is, this is like a Saturday morning cartoon. Why is this? Why does this sound serious? And it surprised me. But it's okay because it, it didn't last long and it just it changes so drastically all throughout this song and this is exactly why I'm highlighting the soundtrack is the song the, the music the soundtrack takes itself seriously enough like it's it's really well done okay I, I don't want to say like oh this is ridiculous it's not that great no it's really well done but it does not take Grant Kirkhope did excellent here didn't take the the music too seriously here and it fits the game so well that being said overture sets the tone let's talk about spiral mountain and i mean come on this this is spiral mountain i'm willing to bet most people who play games have heard even if they're like me never played banjo before i'm certain they've heard spiral mountain now i love the synth banjo sounds in this song um, <clears throat> I mean, it, yeah, as much as you could like the synth, you know, like the back in the day here, this was like the nineties, right? And this song showcases the best of that synth banjo sound. The, the, <laughs> just, it's weird. Like, you know, it's banjo, but it doesn't sound anything like a banjo just because of the, the, the technology at the time, right? Like it's nothing against the musicianship or anything like that it's just the technology that's what it was um and so like you've got the synth banjo going and you've got these like uh i don't know dropping quote-unquote dropping horns that add to the already playful backdrop that this banjo and of, of all things like the whistle uh the you know the the banjo and this whistle create like a playful backdrop and then the the dropping horns of like very I I just call them dropping right I don't I don't remember the the technical term for it and you know as if as if already this song wasn't playful enough then the xylophone is added just to create another layer of it's just innocent fun it's it's just innocent silliness and the energy in this song is just huge. Spiral Mountain is the, I don't know, poster child song for this soundtrack, right? Like, this is like the, hey, look at this song. Overture kind of sets the tone, like, hey, this is what it's going to be. Spiral Mountain's like, uh-huh, this is, this is the song that's going to get stuck in your head. This is the song that you're going to hear over and over and over and over and not get tired of it. It's just fun. And then, you know... I, I, this is going to be weird that I'm including it. Even the pause screen has a wonderfully bouncy song. It, now, okay, let's 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 clear this up. This isn't an energetic song like Spiral Mountain is. 
I mean, the game is paused. So why should it be energetic? But it's still bouncy nonetheless. So a good exa- a good parallel to that would be like the giant tuba going boom, 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 boom. That's very bouncy. It's still energetic, but it's not speed. It's not tempo energetic, right? <clears throat> so, um, you know, thanks. It's got staccato horns in it. So staccato being the quick, you know, just a what? And then it's done. Um, so staccato horns and the constant banjo run um, are what contribute to this bounciness, right? So the banjo naturally already has a bouncy feel to it, okay? Because you're, you're plucking the strings. I mean, yeah, sometimes you strum, but even the strum doesn't sound like a guitar or something like that where it's smoother. <clears throat> the banjo is a very bouncy instrument just by nature. And then, you know, you've got the staccato horns, you know, in the background uh, adding to that. And it's so neat how this song evokes a feeling of taking a break, which, I mean, it fits perfectly in its function within the game because this is the pause screen. Yes, I'm talking about pause screen music here. Now, it makes me wonder if the developers just went to uh, Kirk Hope and said, hey, we need pause music, please. And that was the blueprint of the song. Like, Kirk was like, okay, well, let's think of pause. And then created this. Like, it had to be, right? <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just crazy to me. So it's such an odd concept to me to think about this for whatever reason. I don't know. And the fact that I'm talking about pause screen music. I don't know if I'll ever talk about that again. But it's it's memorable. It's so memorable. And again, it's fun it's just fun. And then the last composition that I want to talk about is Gruntilda's Lair. Um, it's another non-energetic song that's still energetic somehow. Um, the heavy use of xylophone, and not just the use of xylophone, but it sounds like the lower range of it. I'm going to be honest. I'm not as familiar with how a xylophone works. I've never played it. I mean, I know what it is. I know how to do it. But, <clears throat> like, it sounds like the lower range to me, um, what Kirko was going with. Um, I mean, it works remarkably well. It's it's crazy how well it works. And then you've got the, uh, like, bell synth sounds mixed with the wave synth. And, you know, that's, it's outstanding in getting the fun nature of the game across in a non-energetic way. So, like, the mixture of the bells and the wave... It just in its blending just works and again adds to the the fun nature of this entire soundtrack. It's all fun. It's all silly and just entertaining. Um, and then on Gruntilda's Lair, the horns and what sounds like cello, um, like the horns and cello arrangement keep the rhythm moving along. Hence, the non-energetic song feels energetic still. So. You know, the xylophone, kind of energetic. The the bell, synth, and the wave, they are not energetic at all. They're very laid back. You know, the, they're, they're more smooth, right? As opposed to things like the xylophone, the banjo, things like that. But just to keep the, the fun times going, the horn and the, the cello, I'm, I'm calling it the cello. I'm not entirely sure if that's exactly what it is. But the horn and the cello keep it moving along and make it still feel energetic, still have that fun nature to it. 
And you know, look, I could keep going on and on and highlighting more track, you know, track after track after track. Um, I mean, the use of digital instruments like banjo and horn used within this soundtrack is just wonderful. There are wonderful arrangements. Um, but what's crazy is that it creates like that mixed with like the it's just amazing to me that these arrangements arrangements come out and the limit of the hardware and the technology at the time don't hold it back like it like it's still so fun and it all creates a full soundtrack that honestly raises the overall game itself up to a higher level and makes what would normally be just cheesy you know like cheesy and like ooh, you know this is not aged well into something much more um you know like instead it's aged like a fine cheese <laughs> and i mean that in a good way um because i absolutely love cheese but that's we're not here to talk about what i eat what i like um you know it boils down to one simple thing with the soundtrack it's just good old fun it's silly it's fun and it's catchy so yeah i i highly recommend play banjo Listen to that soundtrack. It's good times. And now we're going to move from fun, silly banjo stuff to much more serious Samus stuff with Metroid Prime. So Metroid Prime uh, originally came out on the GameCube and it an HD version was ported or redone, remastered, whatever, later to the... Well, first there was a Wii version, I think. I know there was... the. Well, Regardless, I believe all three, the trilogy, came to the Wii U. <clears throat> and here we are now waiting to see if it ever comes back up on the Switch. So, okay. Game franchises sometimes need a shot in the butt. They need that massive change to spark some new life in them. I mean, even the best of them have had major updates. Mario had Mario 64. Uh, God of War had... God of War, uh, let's clarify that. I guess God of War, was it 2018? Like the newer one. And now that they're getting the sequel, God of War Ragnarok. Uh, Zelda had Breath of the Wild. So these are things that really just kick the franchise in the butt. Like, well, let's just shake things up a little bit. And one franchise that seemed essentially dormant until last year uh, with Metroid Dread... Um, you know, had a huge overhaul back in, oh, I'm going to feel old, 2002, 2002, that's nuts, 20 years ago, oh my gosh, anyway, I had played some Metroid games previously to Metroid Prime, um, you know, I found this, the, the franchise alright, uh, but it never grabbed me, and unlike how it does now, the, the franchise does grab me now. I'm I'm a huge fan of Metroidvania's now, um, in recent years. But when I played a Metroid, I knew what to expect. Okay, it was that, you know, platformer slash exploration, finding the up upgrades, and then go backtracking to move forward. Right. So I knew what to expect until Prime. Now, I've probably mentioned this like 30 times, and I'm going to mention it again. I got Metroid Prime when I first got my GameCube. I didn't get a GameCube at launch. I got my PS2. I was very happy with it. And then down the road, I was like, you know what? I really want to play Wind Waker. 
and the only way I can play Wind Waker is if I get a GameCube. So I got Wind Waker and a GameCube. And I saw Metroid Prime there while I was there, and I was like, that looks cool. Huh. Haven't played a Metroid game in a while. Let's try it. Didn't know anything about it. Blew all my expectations away. There are so many things that made this game so great. I mean, the music was an excellent mix of sci-fi sounds and notes and catchy melodies. Um, it has that very iconic, like, I don't, I don't even know. It's like that. It's like almost like a bubble sound. Like, like it's really, <clears throat> I, I don't know what that is. But the sci-fi sounds mixed well with, the, you know, these catchy melodies and different notes. Visuals for Metroid Prime are still amazing to this day. I mean, this is for both the actual visual quality, but also the art direction. Um, like, is it the same level as now, like modern? No, of course not. But like you go play it and you don't just sit there the whole time and think, oh gosh, this is an eyesore. Like you play it and you go, wow, this is actually playable. Like this is, this is good. And if you go to the Wii U version, the HD remaster, whatever that was called. I mean, it's great. It It's great. And, you know, the environments and the lore were so cool at the time to me. And you know what? Like, just like the visuals in more recent playthroughs, they still totally hold up. But all this aside, there are three things that make this game my highlight of the week and one of my all-time favorite games. So, the first reason you could probably guess, you probably already know, the perspective change. So, previous Metroid games were 2D side-scrolling. They were left to right, up and down. Uh, you can navigate these maps, but they were 2D. They were very much 2D. Metroid Prime was incredibly different because it went, well, instead of back and forth, now it's first person. Now you are in the suit. You are in the uh, Varia suit, or however you pronounce that. And now it just felt b bigger. Like that 2D plane now just got a whole lot bigger. Now, what's cool about this is it fits so well within a Metroid game. So first person, um, the first person fits well because, I mean, a, a large part, I got to talk about this. It's, it's a little detail, but this is kind of, um, I don't know reflective of the larger amount of detail in this game but the 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 amount of detail is what plunges a player into this world and what comes into mind first is i remember thinking it was so freaking cool seeing samus's face in the reflection of the visor so i remember i'm playing and like there was light or something i don't remember what it was but if there's enough light you can see samus's fate uh fate face in the visor like her eyes or nose. And I was like, I the first time I saw it, I was like, what the? And then I realized what it was. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is really cool. And, you know, using the viewpoint really made the larger enemies feel that much more terrifying and intimidating and mixed in with all these little details, this, the attention to detail. It's just crazy. And the first person, okay, so... First-person puzzle games, I mean, to me, 
tend to not be the best. There are exceptions, sure. And there's some in recent memory. Um, I'm going to forget the name of it now. The Witness. The Witness, that's a first-person puzzle game. And it worked well. But at the, especially at the time, like, first-person puzzle games, like, ugh. Prime? It accepted... What it did right was that it accepted the action-like nature of first-person shooters and blended it in magnificently as well with the environmental puzzle solving. Um, I'm just blown away. Like, they... They took both aspects of these genres and went, look, let's take the best of each and let's blend it. Let's not ignore one or the other. Let's acknowledge the best of both and put them together. And it works. And I think the other thing that helps the first person work so well is the lock-in or lock-on. The lock-on implemented, I mean, it, it, it combined, it was combined with an arsenal that becomes, you know, gr- grows as time goes on. Um, as these things become available to Samus throughout the game. But it works so incredibly well in Prime. And it surprised me. You know, it really did. Um, and that what was interesting is that when I played the 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 newer versions, you know, that had the Wii remote uh, implementation, that a lot of, like, the, it was still really cool. Don't get me wrong. But, like, playing on the GameCube, I don't know. It just felt good. It just felt good. Like, that lock-on... And then being able to move, it felt like you could run and gun, and it was really good, really good stuff. And that first-person perspective, the the keys, the key things I want to take away from here. It fit still somehow, and in fact, it enhanced a lot of what makes Metroid games great, and makes them Metroid games. It made this world bigger, feel bigger, to explore. It made these enemies feel scarier more intimidating, more menacing because of that attention to detail and all that stuff. And it sucked the player into this world, into this sci-fi world because of all of these little details. Next thing that really like brings this game above all the others, the exploration and the feeling of jumping into something that maybe something big had happened in the past, but now you're in the middle of some, something's happening again, right? But you have this history. Jumping into this on the planet Talon 4 just further sucked the player into this game. So, backtracking can be a pain in games. And I know that can be a pain for a lot of people. And they go, I don't like that. And, you know, I can't fault them. I actually don't mind it. If it's implemented well, I actually really like it. But I can 100% agree with that. I mean, you're... I'm a guy that, like, when I watch a movie, I don't want to watch a prequel. When I play a game, I don't want to play a prequel. I want to continue the story and end it. I don't want to go backwards. Give me give me a cutscene. Cool, sums up the, the backstory. I don't care about all that stuff, right? Typically, there are exceptions to that. So I get backtracking. I get it. And I do believe it's a hard mechanic to get correct, a good uh, concept to get correct. Now, though I wouldn't say Prime is perfect in this regard, it does something else that alleviates the possible frustration of back- backtracking for for largely most, I would say most people. The environment is so damn cool. All of these areas are so cool. I mean, the setting, the sci-fi nature of it, 
the lore from all the logs you pick up along the way, all the reports received when scanning flora and fauna. It is all just so cool. And you go through these areas, and when you backtrack, it's memorable. A lot of these areas are memorable. Now, obviously, some areas, like if it's just a hallway or something, sure. Okay, that's not as memorable. But so many, like I'm sitting here talking to you, and I'm thinking of a very specific area where there's like sand and these little things pop up out of the ground. And I remember the first time it surprised me and kind of startled me a little bit. And then every subsequent time I went through that area, I knew you're going to pop up there. You're going to pop up there. I know where these things are. I can remember that 20 years later, not even thinking about it. And the last time I played has been, I don't know, a year, a year plus. It's just so cool. This world draws the player in and does not let go. So all of those aforementioned little details I talked about mixed with stuff that's actually like cool to like get into the lore of within the game. And a lo- I, I believe a large reason why the environment, you know, flora, fauna, all that stuff do such a great job of keeping the player engaged is due to incredibly strong art direction and designs. I mean, just glancing through. So like afterwards, I was like, is it just me? And so I started glancing through some of the artwork and designs and stuff from these care, like these things in the game, creatures, plants, environments, all of the stuff. And even like that opening, like when Samus, uh, it gets out of the, uh, gets out of her ship, right? It's just so cool. It's so cool. I mean, and, and all of the creatures, it's, it's kind of a cool theme. Like, there's like this bug-like core to almost all of the creatures on this planet. Not not all, but a lot of them. But they're all like, I don't know. I don't even know if I if this is the right word for it, but they're beautiful. Like the, the way that they're done, like in their own way. And it really feels like you've stepped into a foreign ecosystem. Like this ecosystem has been getting along just fine without you. And now you've stepped in and it's like, what are you doing? Now you're going to get messed up. It's so good. So the visuals and or the first person perspective and those attention to detail blend with just really strong art direction uh, in, in the environment, the flora, the fauna and everything that lends to the exploration. Which brings me to my third point. Though this game underwent, I mean, this is a massive overhaul from all the previous games in the series in almost every way it somehow fully kept the spirit of the Metroid franchise. Like, completely. Okay, so let's let's look at this. Backtracking. Check. Gradual upgrades. Check. Optional extras that could help later on. Check. Yep, this is a Metroid game. Oh, I also forgot. Major sci-fi vibes and out in space kind of stuff. Definite check. It's very easy to lose what makes a franchise what it is. Like, <laughs> okay... What if Halo became a racing game? That'd be weird. We don't play Kirby games for a narrative tour de force or Ratchet and Clank to get our puzzle fix. Yeah, they may have elements of that stuff, but that's not why we play those. We play certain games to for certain reasons, right? When Typically, when you hear Mario, you know what you're getting into. When you hear Halo, you know what you're getting into. What Metroid Prime does is pretty remarkable. It plays like a completely different game, thanks to the perspective change, revised gameplay mechanics, all that stuff. 
but it still feels like a Metroid game because the environment, aesthetic, lore, and nods to older gameplay mechanics. Retro Studios added just enough first-person action to the game so that it wouldn't overshadow the exploration facet that is key to Metroid games. So, because of those first two points being so strong, so well done, it kept the spirit. This is still very much an exploration game with various puzzle elements, thinking about things. Well, I got to backtrack, go here and do that. Oh, I got this thing that could probably go there. And then just such a deep lore of, and just so cool of like, I'm stepping into something that happened on this planet a long time ago. And now something else is a Bruin. What that is, who knows? We're going to find out, (laughs) right? It's amazing that this game, this is Metroid Prime is the spinoff game and I'm not going to lie because this was my first Metroid that like I was like I would consider my Metroid right like that was the first one that grabbed me because this is that one I thought this was a mainline Metroid and I still kind of view it as that even though in the back of my brain I know this is the spinoff so crazy stuff um, and look, there have been rumors upon rumors that Metroid Prime Trilogy would be coming to Switch, and I've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and now we've got major rumors about Metroid Prime 1 getting its own version of a remake, remaster, whatever the heck it is. Look, I actually hope this is true. I hope that the, the remat just one, right? Like, I really enjoyed 2 and 3 as well, but even if they just do a full, like, get people into this again, please, I hope this is true. Because this is an amazing game and would be great to bring to a new generation that may have never heard of this or never got gotten to play it or it's hard to play it with things like the Wii U eShop shutting down and go get a GameCube and Metroid Prime disc. Like, geez. Like, bring it to the new system. This is This would be an excellent, excellent way to do it. And look, Metroid Prime is one of the highlighted games that I have to give an extra dose of recommendations too. It is simply amazing. All right, so we talked about Fun Silly Banjo, Banjo-Kazooie. We talked about Super Awesome slash Serious Samus Aran in Metroid Prime. Now we're going to talk about a serious topic that is not just related to games, but we're going to keep it focused on games. So the topic name, should we separate art from artist. Now, this topic was brought on because, well, um, I want to be vague because I haven't. I want to be vague because just in case my kids listen to this podcast, uh, which, you know, is a, is a reality, right? I don't want to. I, I'm still trying to figure out how I want to proceed. Okay, so spoiler alert, I don't have an answer to this. (laughs) I don't have an answer to this. I feel very strongly on both sides. So, anyway, some games slash lore, like, you know, story backs or whatever that my kids are, you know, now really into, um, has a creator who appears to be not very good, okay? Okay. Now, I don't know this person personally, obviously, 
but it just the the actions and support of certain things it's just like mm, okay so do i as the parent bring this up and put my foot down say no more and if so what do i tell my kids for the reason and being truthful is a big deal to us and very much a big deal to me for other reasons that maybe I'll discuss. Maybe I'll, I'll, instead of a topic, I'll just tell the story one time. I don't know. But actually, that could be a good topic. I might do that. Anyway, m- m- making a note for that. So it's being truthful is a big deal to both of us, but especially, you know, I can speak for myself big, big time. Like being truthful to my kids is a big deal to me. So what do I do? And, you know, I know this applies to me and my kids, but honestly, there are plenty of people who enjoy things that just don't know. Um, you know, like this could this could apply to like, hey, maybe you're the older brother, the older sister, the older sibling, right? Or maybe you're the older cousin, you know, and, or uncle, uh, aunt, you know, like wh- whatever it may be. Maybe this does apply to you in that aspect that there's somebody that maybe just doesn't know and they're young enough that it's like you you can't just go to them and be like, hey, did you know that that person does this, this and this? And then they, they're adult enough that they can make their own decision right from that, which, you know, some, you know, kids can do that, too. But there is a difference there. Right. So. So what do I do? And on top of that, to add to this whole fun question. I'm sure if we kept going down that rabbit hole, we couldn't really enjoy anything. Like, I'm I'm almost positive of that. So, should we separate art from the artist? Well, let, let's, let's be real here. My initial knee-jerk response is no way. No way. We can't separate them. If somebody makes an incredible piece of art but then goes and does something really, really, really terrible, no way. No way. Uh-uh. People do bad things and it should not be rewarded. People get away with things and, you know, you can stand for going against them and the system got them out. That's a di- that's different. But people do bad things and if you know it, I'm a firm believer, like, it, it should be rewarded. At the very least. And I feel like I'm either, in like, me personally, so, like, if I know, so, like, oh, I play this game and... So let me let me give an example. So every time I play Overwatch, I already owned Overwatch on my PS4. I already owned Overwatch on my Switch before all of the garbage came out, okay? And I, I already got it. Uh, they already got Activision Blizzard. already got my money, okay? And, you know, real people who are really talented who, you know, made this game, this is their artwork. They're the ones that made Overwatch, okay? But I'd be lying I feel like I'm either an advocate or giving my consent by enjoying or playing the product. So in this case, Overwatch of, of this, you know, someone or a group of people that are terrible. And I'm just being real here, whether that's logical or not, that's how I feel. Like I feel dirty. I feel yucky. Like I don't want to support this because the, the people in charge that harassed, that did all these terrible things, the stuff that I talked about in the previous episode. Like, I feel bad. So my initial knee-jerk reaction is, nope, nope, not at all. Nope, can't do it. 
So then another question comes up. Can I even, can I compartmentalize the art itself and the artist, whoever they may be in their core? Like, can I separate, can I, am I even capable, me personally, am I capable of separating these? You know, and is this a solution or is this just a a justification to do the things I want to do? You know, I often wonder if I can even do this. Like, am I capable of doing this? Do I do this with other things without realizing it? Like, am I doing this and I just don't realize it? You know, it's it's tough. And, you know, now it's brought home even more because now my kids are experiencing this secondhand, I guess you'd say. They don't know. They don't know any of this stuff. And, you know, I don't want them to know about this stuff yet. Like they will, and I'm going to have that conversation and and discuss with them these things, have these conversations, but there's a time and a place. Now is not the time. So what do I do? And then to further, you know, kind of go, I guess, on on the other end of this. I don't know if it's on the other end. Then I ask a question, when do we draw the line? Or do we draw the line? So like I said before, I feel like if I were to continue, so like, okay, so let's start with Overwatch. I start with Overwatch, I say, no, bad. Continue, you know, like, I'm just not bad. I feel like they start there and then we go, well, this product is made by people that are terrible as well. That's gone. And then this one too, that's gone. And then this one, that gone. Like, I feel like I'm looking in my room and like, how far do we go? Like, okay, so this is, I'm, I'm in the new edition right now in my new office. This was built by some dudes that seem like really cool dudes and really good dudes. Okay. Really liked them. They've been great so far. Uh, they were great through the whole process and they're doing our, uh, some other stuff now too. They're great, but they went and got these products elsewhere. The people who made those products, the corporations that made those products, are they good? I don't know. If they were bad, do I just say, nope, sorry, take that, uh, pfft. take that wood back get this other kind like I feel like we would keep going down uh this slippery slope and then by the end like none of us we couldn't enjoy anything we'd just all be sitting in a room that we made ourselves because we know ourselves just staring at the wall right now I I know this is dramatic I know I'm kind of going a little bit further on the other end but you know this is this kind of how I feel about this stuff and I feel like most things these days have some kind of involvement to varying degrees by people who are horrible or have done horrible things. Cause then that, then it comes up. Okay. So what if 90% of the people that made this product are great, but 10% are terrible. What do we do? You know, um, I don't, and I don't, in all honesty, I don't think this just applies to games or even art and entertainment in general. Only this applies to just everything like life stuff. To add on to this, because, you know, I apparently I like asking questions in this episode, specifically for me um, and other parents or older siblings out there, do we just let the young'uns enjoy what they like or do we stop it? Do we explain why we stop? Is there a compromise here? This is all very tough and right is right, wrong is wrong. And I'm a firm, you know, like, I'm a firm believer that, you know, like, uh, let's take Overwatch, Activision Blizzard. You know what would be great? 
I'd love for the law to actually lay down the law and actually happen. And these people pay for what they did, whatever that looks like to the, the victims. I can't say what that looks like because I am not one of those victims. Okay. That would be great. And then you move forward, continue to make great products, but now different setup at the higher ups there, which will then start to weed out all the others that, you know, go as you go down. Will that happen? Who knows? So we, I have to deal with what I've got now. So what do I do? Do I tell them, hey, this person does bad things. We should stop. Or do I just say, hey, we just stop. Why? Because I said so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Even when I catch myself saying that now, I hate myself for doing that. I hate, I, I like to give an explanation to my kids. I don't want you doing that. Why? Because, and then explain. Because that's something that, you know, me personally growing up with my own stuff, not going to get into that. You know, that was something that I, I didn't really get, you know, as much as I'd like. Um, and, you know, this whole concept has been really tough for me in recent years just because of all the stuff that's come up personally, like for me, like taking family and kids out of it. But now it's even harder knowing my kids are starting to get involved in it, too, and they don't even know it. So, look, I I don't have an answer. <laughs> I don't have an answer. Oh, what's the saying? Um, ignorant ignorance is bliss. Right. And I feel like that's true. But knowing these things that lie more with the artists, these bad things, you know, the artists, artists or the people that make these things happen. In this case, uh, in the case of video games, I can't I can't just ignore it. That's not good. And I guess this is just going to be a case by case situation. So, I mean, what do you think? How do you feel about this? Can should we separate art from the artist? Can we separate art from the artist? What are your thoughts on this? You know, I'm this is a topic that I know for me that I don't I don't have the answer. I don't know what to do. So I'm just like holding off until the day that I figure it out or it's just thrust upon me and I go, well, here we go. We're having this conversation. So let's go. So what do you think? Um, I'd love to hear from you. As always, I always talk about my uh, social media, you know, connections there so you can reach out, chat with me. You can find me on Twitter um, at Bowertendo. You can find me on Twitch on the weekends, and we do our live podcasts there on Sundays. That is username or uh, handle Bowertendo. Instagram, Bowertendo. Uh, you can email me, Bowertendo at gmail.com. All that fun stuff. I would uh, like to hear from you. And the poll from last week that I had set up here, let me pull it up here. Now, this was posted on Twitter, and as of right now, there's still a couple days left of as of the recording. Have you ever played a visual novel game? 56% say, yep. 44% say, nope. And nobody says, what the heck is that? So everybody knew what that was. So that's, that's pretty good, right? So that's where we're at. So it's almost 50-50 of never played a visual novel versus have played a visual novel because we talked about Doki Doki Literature Club last week. What a great game that is. Um, anyway, thanks for listening to the end. I appreciate you. As always, you're awesome. You the best, as we say in our streams, uh, our Twitch streams. I appreciate you guys, and until next time, bye!